that you guys are here today. How are you? Those of you here in the house, yeah. Those of you joining us around the world, right? Well, I'm, glad, I'm so glad you're here today. We have an amazing Sunday. We're talking about, you know, we're in this series in, through the book of John, and we're in John 11. And it's, where, it's about Lazarus. And you may, have, you may know about Lazarus, and if you don't know about Lazarus, spoiler alert, he died. And he was in a, a tomb for four days, just a cold body. And another spoiler, he rose again. And, and it doesn't say it in the Bible, but do you know what I think his first words were? He says, look, I'm the world's first warm again Christian. You know, when there's just as many groans as there are laughs, I got you right where I want you. I mean, dead Lazarus humor. Talk about a rotten joke, right? So, Oh, John 11, here we are in John 10, just before this, Jesus had been in Jerusalem and he, they had tried to stone him repeatedly. They tried to kill him. And so he left Jerusalem and traveled to an area called Perea where he continued. And John says, many believed. Now, while he's there in Perea, the gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, they give us so many, uh, they give us so much context of what Jesus does there. I mean, he talks about the prodigal son. The lost sheep, faith the size of a mustard seed. He, he speaks to the rich young ruler. He heals the, a crippled woman and much more. There is so much that Jesus does there in the wilderness of Perea. But John doesn't mention any of it. None of it. Remember, the book of John, 90% of it is unique to his gospel. And in fact, at the end of John, he tells us, this is why I wrote this book, so that you would see and believe in Jesus. And so he's giving us his account. I mean, he, he leaves out the prodigal son. But what John does add here this week is something that no other gospel mentions. What happens we're going to talk about today has huge significance to John in his life. Led by the Holy Spirit, he writes down these things. Remember, the book of John is split into two halves. The first half is called the book of signs. And there's seven signs that John records that point to Jesus as Messiah. The book of John also has seven I am statements. These are statements of Jesus about who he is, his identity. And today, we're going to see the seventh sign and the fifth I am statement. So while the other three gospels leave this out, today, John, led by the Spirit, records this very important account. And I just want to tell you something. Today's passage is filled with drama and emotion. And oftentimes we skip over that because we know what happens in, we know, we know John 12. Like we know that what happens in the story, but, but they lived it real time. So we're going to see the emotion. We're going to see the drama and what happens in here. And so let's start with in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I mean, that message right there tells you a lot about what Jesus feels about about Lazarus, the, the one you love is sick. He had affection for this family. He spent time with family. In fact, Luke tells us that just previous to this, he had been to their house and stayed with them before the feast of dedication, Hanukkah, which we looked at a few weeks ago. This is a family that Jesus loves. It's a family that Jesus spends time with. Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John doubles down and lets you know how much they mean. He says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Now, if you're Jesus, you can heal. So we have someone who's sick. We have someone who can heal. And, and, and if, if we didn't know the story, we go, well, this is easy. This is a slam dunk. He, he's going to go there, and it's going to be another miracle, right? He's going to go to their house. But verse 6, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I mean, Jesus hears that his friend is sick, sick enough for them to ask for his immediate uh, help. And what does he do? He waits. He waits. They have a need. They have a desperate, pressing need, and they call out for him, and he delays. He doesn't go. He doesn't show up for them the way that they want him to. He doesn't come through for them the way that they feel they need him to. And we've all been here. Maybe you're there right now. We, we have something that we need Jesus. Only Jesus can fix or heal or help or rescue or resolve. And, and we pray, Jesus, come, I need you. And he doesn't come through the way we want it. Or he doesn't come when we want it. We've all been in these positions where we're stuck with the disappointment in Jesus not coming through when and how we wanted. And what do we do with that disappointment? Some of us just brush it off and move on. For some of us, it has a drastic impact on our faith. But let's be honest. We've had these moments of disappointment. And for some of you, you're in a season of this right now. Of Jesus, I need it. I need you. I need you now. And he's not showing up the way that you need him to. And in fact, instead of a miracle, you maybe feel like you're getting nothing. Silence. So let me ask you, what happens to your faith when Jesus doesn't show up the way that you needed him to? At those times in your past where you, you needed him to come through and he didn't, what has that done to your, your faith? Perhaps someone died. Perhaps it wasn't someone who died, but it was, it was a dream that died. It was your hopes that died, a desire that died. Jesus didn't, he didn't intervene. He didn't come and stop it. And you see, Jesus, we find that he has an affection for this family. He loves them, and they have a deep need, and he waits. And since we can all admit, not just me, we can all admit that we've been here in this place. We've had these disappointments. I want us to look at this, this John 11 with, with a new a new perspective. Open our hearts to, 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 to see why Jesus is delaying because it might tell us something of what he's doing in our lives. Verse six. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there were trying to kill you, trying to stone you, and yet you want to go back? I mean, Lazarus lives in Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem, where a lot of important people had tried to kill Jesus recently. And the disciples, they're, they're like, they're, they're like, they're smart as a tack. They're like me, right? They're like, but son of God, I don't know if you know this, but people are trying to kill you recently back there. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> But Rabbi, we can't go there. You know, sometimes even those closest to Jesus don't understand maybe or see his motives. When we're following Jesus, there is sometimes mystery in what's happening. So verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, listen, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. 
Now, the disciples, like I mentioned, being really sharp, they, they, they look at each other. And I'm like, you tell them. Okay, I'll tell them. Um, Lord, if he sleeps, like he's going to wake up. It'll be okay. <laughs> like, if he's asleep, he'll get better. It says Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And then I love the next sentence. Jesus looks at him and goes, Lazarus is dead. Like he just like, he's, he's, is he dead? He continues, and we get a smaller glimpse here of why he may have delayed. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, but for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. He's dead, guys. But for your sake, for your sake, I, I'm glad I wasn't there because what's going to happen is going to blow your mind. It's going to lead to more faith. It's going to lead to more belief. Jesus delays answering Mary and Martha's request because there's something in this for the faith of those who follow. So they're headed back to Jerusalem, which prompts the next statement. Then Thomas looked around at the rest of the disciples and said, well, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap, and we're going to do a deep dive in Thomas in John 20. But this, this comment is either one of two things. It's Thomas full of faith that says, you know what? If Jesus is going to die, then I'm going with him. Or it's Thomas, like, if we go there, we're going to die. Well, if he's going to go, we might as well go die with him. I'm not sure which one it is. When we do a deep dive on Thomas, we'll look at some more of this. But, but that's the response. And then they head off to Bethany to see Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He gets there. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. How many days? How many days? Four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem where the temple is, where all the priests and rabbis are. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them for the loss of their brother. Now, not only are Jesus' friends present here, but also we see present are those who want to kill Jesus. When John talks about the Jews, when he uses that statement, or Jews, he's not talking about just anybody of Jewish descent. Consistently in his gospel, that means the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the religious lawyers, these religious elite. And they have made the trip two miles to come there and sit with Martha and Mary. So it tells us that the Lazarus and his family must have some esteem but, but Jesus gets here, and, and, and not only are the people he loves there, but the people that hate him are also there. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed behind. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I, I love the truth of what she's speaking here. She speaks her heart. Jesus, he's dead. You're late. If you had been here, he'd be alive. And then she continues, she goes, but I know that even now God can give you whatever you want. She has this caveat on there. He's, he's dead, but I know even now he can give you whatever you want. To which Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And her statement reveals that maybe she doesn't believe he can do whatever he wants. Because she goes, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection at the last day. Like someday at the end of time, I know He's going to rise again. You're right, Jesus. It's like when you say, well, you'll see him again. I know I'll see him again someday in heaven. She believes that, that when Jesus says he'll rise again, it's going to be someday. On the last day. She doesn't consider the fact that Jesus could bring Lazarus back from the dead today. And she's not the only one. And there's a really important reason why she doesn't believe that. 
Verse 24, Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You're waiting for the resurrection to happen someday. No, 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 Martha. The resurrection is present here now. Jesus in this I am statement, he says, the the resurrection isn't an event. It's a person. It's me. I am the resurrection and I am here. He goes on. I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I mean, this this is so full. He makes this declaration that, that if you believe in him, you'll live even if you die. And that if those who believe and are walking with him would never die. And he's talking about very complex spiritual things, but then he says, do you believe this? He's asking a girl at a funeral if she believes that those who are dead will not die and still live. Martha, in the midst of a funeral, here at this funeral, do you believe that even though Lazarus is dead, he'll live? And she said, I love this, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, what she answered was about identity. She was not mistaken about who he is. And here's just one little thing. When when tragedy hits, when when chaos rips through your life, when things happen that just leave you, knock the breath out of you, sometimes the the only thing we can declare is, "I, I know that you are Lord. I know you're Messiah, the Son of God. None of this, none of the rest of this makes sense, but Jesus, I I know who you are. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly, and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet even entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house, they were comforting her, they noticed how quickly she got up and went went out, and they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. So Mary jumps up and leaves, and all of these religious elite, they get up too, like, well, if she's going to the tomb, let's go with her. So now we have Martha and Mary, whom he loves, coming out to see him at the edge of the village, followed by this this entourage of family and also these religious elite, these teachers, these rabbis, these priests. Can you imagine the faces of these priests as they follow Mary out the door and and as they, they, they think they're going to the tomb? And instead, they're face to face with the person they want to put in a tomb. I mean, this was, a, this was an awkward moment for them. The, the, the drama of this moment, the intensity of emotion just rose. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet, just broken. Lord, if you had been here, would you, or if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, Mary, like Martha, knows Jesus well enough to just speak plainly to speak her heart to him. Her words had no fancy these or thous. She didn't change your tune or tone. No, when you pray in faith, when you pray in faith and Jesus doesn't come through for you and you have to deal with that disappointment, oftentimes we feel like we have to like, you know, oh, Father, no, no, here's what we should do. The greatest thing we can do is to pray an honest prayer, to pour out your heart did you know, I, I've been so angry at God. I've been yelling. I've been so broken. I've been pleading. And they, the truest prayer I have is just my honest heart that's broken or angry. And here's, God is big enough to handle that. 
If you're angry, you can bring that to him. If you're broken, if you're disappointed, bring that to him. It's a relationship. Bring your authentic emotion. Bring your authentic heart in your prayers to Jesus. Don't sugarcoat him or religious him up. No, just come to him. She says, if you'd been here, it wouldn't have happened. She's on her knees. She's fell out his feet. She's pouring herself out. And we've, Maybe you've been here. Jesus, I needed you, but you didn't show up. And now they're dead. And Jesus, I needed you, but, but you didn't show up and now the marriage is over. And Jesus, I needed you, but you haven't shown up and I'm over my head, Jesus. Where are you? That's what Mary's doing here through tears. She is pouring her heart out to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, he would still be alive. If only you'd come through the way I needed you, but it's too late now. Lazarus is in the tomb. And we've, maybe for you, you've had this moment where you've prayed something and the marriage, instead, it didn't, he didn't come through when he needed and the marriage got buried. Or the dream, it died. Or the business, it closed. Or the addiction, it had you. The abuse, it took you. The anxiety, it owns you. The cancer spread. Or your prodigal just kept running. The diagnosis was given. Your faith dwindled. Whatever it was, the, the passion passed. And Jesus, it was too late. He didn't show up in time. You could have showed up, but you didn't in time. And I stand here at the tomb of my dreams. And you say, you could have stopped this. Now, Orchard, this is personal for me. You see, I, I've stood next to the tomb of a dead marriage, of a destroyed marriage. I've, I've stood by a tomb of a diagnosis that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. I've stood next to the tomb of countless miscarriages and infertility. We've, I mean, I've, I've cried Mary's tears of disappointment in places where if only God had showed up, it would be different. If only he had showed up sooner, but he didn't. He didn't. And in the aftermath of this, when I, I feel his presence draw near, I mean, I've legit just asked him through tears, where were you? Where were you? You could have helped me, but now I'm, now I'm wrecked. Now I'm wounded. Now I'm damaged. And my faith in you, I don't, even, I don't know what to do with this. Where were you, Jesus? And maybe you've been here too. And perhaps you felt in those moments that you weren't supposed to express such sadness or disappointment with Jesus. But God is big enough for your, your emotion. God is big enough for your honest prayer. And perhaps maybe you're in one of these places even now in your life, standing next to a tomb of dead dreams, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And so, and then in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And these two words communicate more of our Lord's heart than, than so many other 
the creator of the universe, he, he sees the result and effects of sin and death on his beloved, and it, it strikes him deeply. It moves him to tears, and not just shedding some tears. It says he's weeping. So, so let me ask you a question. How does Jesus respond to your pain? How do you think Jesus responds to your tears, to your abuse, to your anxiety and depression, to your, to your loss of a loved one, to, to your death of your dreams, to your diagnosis? How does Jesus respond to your tragedy? With tears, with weeping. You're his beloved daughter. Here's beloved son. And although we live in a fallen world where, where terrible things happen, even to, to great people who follow God, you know, where bad things happen, I believe Jesus weeps at the effect of the wounds that we take. We see it here. We see his heart on display. Jesus sees your pain. He sees your pain and he is moved by it. He sees your loss and he weeps with you. When you cry those private tears at night that no one sees, they are seen. And someday, he will make it all right. It may be here on earth. It may not be. But he sees your tears and he sheds his own. Jesus wept. Then the Jews, these leaders, some of them said, see how he loved him? His heart was so evident. Even some of these people who were against him are seeing the side of him, but, there was, but not all of them. In fact, there was the other side of the group didn't want to give him any credit. And there, there is even maybe some sarcasm in this, this next verse because I believe that they are saying this, they're echoing Jesus' statement in an attempt to turn Mary against him. But some others of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's almost like I told you so. Like he's weeping. Yes, but, but couldn't he have just been on time? Like, do his tears actually matter? All he had to do was show up earlier. But he didn't, did he? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. M Martha, but, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been in there four days. And I, I did some research on what happens based on the way that they would treat the body in, in burial. And yes, it would not have been a pleasant thing after four days. But there, <laughs> there's a really obvious question going on here. You know, oftentimes, especially, you'll see Jesus do this. He asks, he doesn't just give an answer, he asks the question. And the, and, and the best question can often lead you to the best realizations. And there's a question I've always had about this. And it's, it's, it's glaring. It's a question we have to ask. Why is no one asking Jesus to do a miracle? Did you ever think about that? Why is no one saying, will you please resurrect Lazarus? And I find it strange because in Luke 8, Jesus brought Jairus' daughter back to life. In Luke 7, Jesus stops a funeral procession and brings the widow of Nain's son off the funeral pyre as he's headed to the tomb. He's done this. He's shown he can bring people back from the dead. Why is no one asking him to do that? Even when he said he's going to rise again, she goes, yeah, someday. Someday he will. Why is no one asking the resurrector to resurrect people? He said, I am the resurrection. And she didn't go, well, could you resurrect Lazarus then? 
No one's bringing this up. You can, you can blame religion for this. Once again, we've talked previously in the series how the priests and rabbis had taken God's word and added on to it layers of traditions. And remember all the laws, even like laws about how many steps you can take on the Sabbath and where you can spit in the road and still be clean. I mean, they, they had a law, for a religious law for everything. Hoops that people had to jump through. And, and I know it's shocking. They even came up with some rules about resurrection. <laughs> yeah. They sat around long enough and thought, let's think about resurrection. What are the rules of resurrection? And they came up with some rules, and they wrote it down in the Midrash, and they, there's, there's two different places. They both agree. The sages wrote, for three days after death, the spirit hovers over the body. After the third day, the spirit leaves, and resurrection becomes impossible. That's the Midrash. You see, Jesus had raised two people from the dead, but it was the same day event. And even raising someone from the dead on the same day, I mean, that's an improbability. But in their culture, it wasn't an impossibility. It fit the, uh, it's before the three days. The spirit's still hovering over. He, he just, you know, zoomed it back in. I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus showed up on the fourth day. Had Jesus showed up just one day earlier, there would be no stone in front of the tomb. And Martha and Mary would have grabbed them and said, come, 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 quick, let's go, let's go. Let's, Jesus, we don't, we don't have, we have till sunset, come on. Had he arrived any point before the fourth day, they would have rushed him and begged him, please, come, can you heal Lazarus? You're here in time. But, but strangely, Jesus delayed. We see that intentionally he chose to wait. And intentionally he showed up on the fourth day, when it's impossible to raise someone from the dead. You see, their religion had put Jesus in a box, and because of that, their hope had died. And it just asked the question, where has your hope died? Not based on the person of Jesus, but based on the religious rules that you were raised in or you think that matter most. Where has your hope for something died and been buried, not based on who Jesus is, but because of religion? I wonder why Jesus waited a few extra days. Are you beginning to see what's beginning to happen here? Are you beginning to see why he, he, he took his time and was delayed? But Lord, said Mar Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Listen, we have, we have a woman here. She's not worried about resurrection. She's worried about smell. Tell me where her faith is. And she knows he's Messiah. She declared him son of God. And what is she concerned about? It's gonna be smelly, Jesus. We have the Messiah here calling her to believe. They're at the tomb. And inside is someone who is dead with a stone in front of it. You, you know, each of us has a Lazarus in our life. Each of us has something that we wanted God to do and he did not. And in the disappointment of that moment, of your Lazarus, you either lost some faith or you kind of worked your way around it and just pressed on. But each of us has a Lazarus in a grave somewhere in our life. And it could be in there from yesterday. It could be in there decades ago. 
in our character. A Lazarus, something we hoped would change within us, but now, now, it's not going to change. We have, we have put the hope in the tomb. In our faith, something we'd hoped that we would have something solid by now, something more passionate, but this is probably as good as it gets, and so let's put that in the tomb. What about our health? We, maybe you have something you hoped God would heal, something he would resolve, that it wouldn't happen to you, but it did happen to you, and the hope that it wouldn't, or the hope that it would be healed, you put that in the tomb. It could be in relationships, perhaps you're in a marriage that you had hoped things would have changed by now, but they haven't, and you put that hope in a tomb. Or perhaps the marriage itself died, and you placed that in the tomb. Perhaps you have an addiction or a vice that you thought at some point you'd be set free from, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, but it has you, and you put the hope of being free in a tomb. Maybe it was a dream for your destiny. Maybe it was a life that you wanted to live, a way, a life you pursued, and it was dashed. And you buried the hope for that life or that destiny in a tomb. You see, each of us has a Lazarus. Each of us has broken hope that we had to bury. We all have something, or we have something we're ashamed of, that we tucked away in a place in our heart, deep within us, a sin issue, a private vice, a private sin, and we have locked it away and rolled a stone and no one gets in. And notice that Jesus says, will you, he, sa- he tells them, roll the stone away. Why does Jesus need someone to roll a stone? Couldn't he have just like, I mean, whatever. Couldn't he have rolled the stone? He tells them to roll the stone. And here's why. There are places in your heart where your Lazarus is laid dead, where your hopes and your dreams lay dead, where your, your private sins and vices are hidden behind the stone. And, and, and Jesus is not gonna force his way into those places. And he asks you to roll away the stone. He asks you to open up to him. Jesus says, roll away the stone. Jesus won't force your heart to open, but he asks you to open up to him. And, and Mary's concerned about the smell. Of all that's going on, she's concerned about the smell. She's ashamed of what might come out of there. And for some of us, we have private sins buried deep in our heart. And we're afraid if we open up our life to let Jesus see that, it's going to be smelling. I don't want anyone to see what's in there. I don't let my, my spouse, I don't let my friends, I don't want God seeing what's in those locked away places of my secret heart. Because if we open that up, it's rotten. It's gonna make us stink. Jesus, don't go in there. It has been years festering. It's been decades. Jesus, don't go in there, that part of my life. I am, I'm too ashamed. But often, oftentimes, the miracle is on the other side of obedience. You see, we wait for the miracle, and then, then we'll obey. He says, roll away the stone. And Jesus is asking for you to open up those tombs in your heart where your hopes, dreams, sins, vices are buried. Open up the place. He invites you with tears in his eyes, just like there at that tomb, to open up your heart to him because Jesus wants to call something glorious out of you. He wants to call something new out of you. 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I've said this to the benefit of those standing here, that they would believe that you sent me. What does God want to call out of you? What purpose does God want to call out of your life? What new life does he want to call forth from dead places? What freedom does he want to call forth from addiction tombs? What, what peace does he want to call out in places where, where depression and anxiety have moved in? What, what relational love does he want to call out of your life where resentment and indifference have moved in and settled in your marriage, in your heart? Listen, maybe he's calling you to a fresh faith so you can step out and step up into the destiny he's called you to. But know this, Jesus wants to call new life and goodness out of your dashed hopes and, and buried faith. Jesus wants to call new life and goodness out of those failures and out of your sinful past. Jesus calls new things out of dead tombs. Jesus wants, is in the business of calling out life where we have put dead things away. So, and so here we have this situation. And this is just wild. We have Martha and Mary and the family weeping. They're a little ashamed, wondering what Jesus is going to do. Maybe some of them have a little bit of hope he could do something. Maybe. They're like, what's he going to do? Then we have the family. Those are the friends. They're there and they're crying. And then we have the, the, the religious leaders there with crocodile tears. And you know what they're doing? Like, what? Everyone's wondering, what's he going to do? Why are we rolling back the stone? It's been, it's been four days. Like, doesn't he know the rules? Doesn't he know the laws of our religion? Like, come on. Everyone's wondering. And there stands Jesus, looking at the mouth of a tomb. And Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What will he call out of your life? Peace, come forth. Love, come forth. Freedom, come out. Hope, come out. Faith, healing, come out. Life. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen, cloth on his face. The number of jaws that hit the floor that day is still a record. I mean, the priests are doing the math. One day, two day, three day, four day, four days. Like, like they can't believe it. The family seeing, seeing their beloved walk around and the mourners wiping their eyes in disbelief. No one, no one can believe this. You see, they had all put Jesus, the Son of God, in a box and he obliterated it. And then he said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And what this means is, listen, when God calls new faith out of you, stop comparing the new faith you're walking into that good old golden time of faith back then. Stop comparing the new calling you're walking in to the old calling that you once had when it died. Stop wondering if the peace that he's calling, the new peace he's calling you into is going to crumble and you'll be back in anxiety. Stop wondering if the freedom he's calling you to walk into is going to flee. Walk in the new life that he's going to call forth in you. Take off the grave clothes. Stop comparing it to the old stuff. Each of us has a Lazarus. Some of, the, some of our Lazaruses are decades old. Just decades old from our childhood where something died in us because what happened to us? For some of us, we are right now in the midst of a Lazarus moment, needing Jesus to come through, needing him to show up. We all have dead dreams and disappointments, hidden sins and hidden vices, places we keep tucked away deep in our heart and we rolled a stone in front of it and our, no one sees it. Not, we don't even want to think about that. And the question is, the question is, first and foremost, will you move the stone? 
Will you open your heart up for Jesus to call something new out? Will you open up those places where you've been so wounded and so hurt and so disappointed? Will you open up those places where your dreams have died, where, where marriages have died, where love has died? Will you open up those places where your sin is hidden, where your vices are hidden? Will you open up the tomb to Jesus for him to call something new out? Because Jesus, he says, I am the resurrection. And he wants to call these new things, new purpose, new destiny, a new freedom of forgiveness in your past, a new powerful peace in your present, and a holy hope for your future. Not just your someday eternal future, he wants to give you a hope for your tomorrow future. That's what he wants to call out of you. And during communion, this is the, this is the moment. He's standing outside of the tomb of your heart, and he is saying, will you open up? During communion, he is asking you, will you open up? Because Jesus calls new and glorious things out of things that have died. I also need to take this moment home with you because for some of us, it's bigger than a communion. Some of us, we need to go back to our homes and houses and take a moment and stand outside tombs of lost loved ones and dead destinies and dead dreams and dashed hopes and health and all kinds of things. And we need to invite Jesus into those places. As we go into communion and as you sit there and you hold the symbols of the blood and body of Jesus who gives us access to forgiveness, to his kingdom. Will you give him access to your heart? He wants to call something new out of you.